Welcome to Founded Connects, a place where the Rally Founded resource providers connect with the members of the Rally Founded community. Today, we share another episode in our Spotlight series presented by Wyrick Robbins, where we spotlight a member, or in this case, two members of Rally Founded while digging into a specific topic relevant to founders. I'm your host, Jason Gillikin, CEO of EarFluence, and joining me today is Christopher Poe, attorney at Wyrick Robbins, who helps businesses of all sizes and in all stages of development from organization to exit and often serves as an outside general counsel for emerging growth companies. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you. Glad to be here. Also with us are the two founders of Astral Consulting Group, Alfonso Albuquerque and Chris Andresi. And that's who we'll be spotlighting today. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Let's do this. All right. So today's topic is moving your business. And what do you need to do from a legal standpoint when you do move your business? I'm so excited because I think about this, even in just moving within the triangle and setting up different locations in the triangle. But you guys moved all the way from New York and set up your, your business there or set up your business here in Raleigh. So um, just tell us about the, the business. Like what is Astral Consulting Group? And then you know, ultimately, how did you decide to, to move? Yeah. So Astral Consulting Group is a full service data and analytics consultancy really working to build what we call insight-driven enterprises, which is really where data becomes a strategic asset for a company where they're really using the data to make better decisions across the board, not just at the executive C-suite level, but down to mid-managers and even individuals who are, say, on a factory floor. We really see it as something that's pervasive across a company that does leverage it effectively. And we really started back in Lehigh University, where we went together, myself and Alfonso, and we were in a program there called IBE, which was Integrated Business and Engineering. And part of that program was these entrepreneurial workshops where they had us create a mock product and go through you know, the financials, product market fit, market it, and really go through that whole process and even pitch to some mock audience and actually some angel investors. And I think that kind of planted a seed for us and, and really kind of got us geared towards entrepreneurship. But then after we graduated, we both got gobbled up by two of the big four firms, as a lot of our colleagues do. And I was in technology consulting at PwC. And I was at Ernst & Young, corporate finance, doing a lot of Excel work, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> was it exciting? Did you like it? it uh, <laughs> I think I didn't like it quite as much. I mean, I don't know. What was your experience? I mean, it, w- it wasn't too bad. So I had a stint before that at Air Products and Chemicals, working as an engineer, and then when I went to Ernst & Young, I was doing more finance work. So it was, it was exciting going from engineering to finance, which is both what both my degrees were in. But I don't know. When I was there, I kind of saw where, where my career was kind of already going to go, where I was going to be in the next five years. And when COVID hit, it really shook things up. And I think that was speaking for a lot of people there that were, their, their life really changed when, when COVID came around. Yeah, I would say so. But it would take us back to the seat of entrepreneurship, where yeah. you, you go through that process of, um, you know, the pitch practice right? and you go through that entrepreneurship sure. training, like, did y'all know like, Ooh, this could be something here that maybe we'll do this in the future. Yeah, definitely had that idea. And I'd always been into music and, and creating in some capacity. So I, I figured it was something I would do at some point. I didn't really see myself doing it this young. Um, but I got to PwC and did enjoy it. I thought, you know, traveling every week was pretty exciting. I thought it might get old after a little while, but was exciting and doing technology work, but kind of like Alfonso said, I saw a little bit where I was headed and I thought in some sense it was, had the potential to pigeonhole me. You know, I was doing some pretty technical work with 
um, Oracle, the ERP, and migrating data to the cloud. And it was um, it was interesting work, but it was very technical work. And when COVID hit, we were both working from home. We were both living together in Hoboken, New Jersey, um, right across the Hudson from New York. And, you know, it just kind of dawned on us that, you know, if there's ever a time to really start something, it was now. Well, we yep. don't have a mortgage. Yeah. We're, we don't have a wife. We don't have kids. No and dogs, figured, nothing. You know, yeah, <laughs> if we're, we're going to jump off a cliff and, you know, try to deploy the parachute in midair, then hopefully this is the time to do it. And, you know, where we started, we kind of thought back. We didn't have some this grand plan, you know, it's not a really a Steve Jobs kind of story where like, we're going to build the next Apple. It was really like, you know, what are we good at? Well, we had just taken a class in financial modeling, um, which is like projecting financials um, as startups often do when they're looking to raise capital. And we got into that and decided, you know, what about just posting on Fiverr.com or Upwork.com or Freelancer.com and saying, hey, we're going to be um, a consulting group. I think Alfonso came up with the name yep. Astro Consulting Group. And, you know, we just went for it and, and started sending out some cold emails and saying, hey, you know, we're recent graduates, um, worked at these companies, we're looking to do financial forecasting. And long story short, we had some clients um, in a few different spaces, some biotech, um, SaaS companies primarily, who contracted our services to project their financials and get them ready for either a pre-Series A or a Series A capital raise. Hmm. And had some success doing that. And I think towards the end of 2020, we had a client who came to us and they really liked what we did there, but then they were interested in, you know, they knew we were kind of tech-minded and, you know, en um, engineers and by trade. So they asked us, you know, can you build some sort of a dashboard or a tool that can track our customer churn rate? You know, how often are we losing customers? What's the lifetime value of a customer? Or what service should I really target to this customer versus another? And we didn't really know much about dashboarding or business <laughs> intelligence at the time, but we kind of just dug in and went on like Udemy and YouTube and talked to some people who we had went to school with to see if they could contract for us and help us out and ended up building a couple dashboards. And then I think we ended up um, talking to a few alumni from Lehigh and kind of telling them what we're doing. And one individual in particular, Alan Frank, was an ex-KPMG partner and he had actually taken a slightly similar company um, called the Answer Think Consulting Group, which coincidentally is also ACG. I think you I think you reached out to him. Mike. Yep. Reached out to Alan and yeah, he we got connected, had a couple of meetings and saw that he can really, really help us out to where we kind of wanted to go. And at some point we we ended up pivoting from the financial models to just fully going into data and analytics, business intelligence, which is what we've been what we've been going after at for like about a year, year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like longer, but it yeah, it's only been a year, year and a half, and we've been full on into that. And it's really been guys like Alan who have been mentors and now he's been kind of like a primary advisor for us who really helped us shape, you know, what does our branding look like? What does our messaging look like? Who do we target? And really something that, that we're still getting used to, but we weren't quite prepared for, I think it's just navigating some of these larger companies or clients, navigating through all the various stakeholders to actually get to someone who can sign a contract. And so sometimes it's, you know, you'll meet say a VP of finance or something, but the CFO needs to sign, or maybe you'll meet uh, the CEO of a company, but they're not really in the day-to-day -day when it comes to business intelligence analytics. So there's certainly um, some political aspects and a, a lot to consider when it comes to navigating those sorts of environments. So I think guys like Alan and uh, another individual, AJ, have just been so instrumental in allowing us to wrap our heads around that process. And obviously we're still very early in the journey and we're, we're still growing, yep. but um, definitely feeling more confident than ever that, you know, we have something, we have testimonials, we've worked with 
um, companies up to five billion in revenue, which I don't think we ever saw ourselves <laughs> doing early on. Uh, but it's yeah, it's just been a really exciting journey, and it's um, been interesting though because you know I go back to saying it wasn't a like Apple type story. It's almost like we kind of just fell into what we're doing. Um, and I know there was some quote, I don't know who said it, but there was this idea that people don't have ideas, ideas have people. Huh. And I thought that was interesting in that it, it kind of applied to what we're doing. It was almost like we kind of had the skill sets, we we're in the right place at the right time. Um, the coronavirus hit and that was almost like a uh, an impetus to start this. And it's just, things kind of lined up in an interesting way and we've kind of just made ourselves open to the opportunity and seen where the road takes us. Well, that's a great segue into the road ended up taking you to Raleigh. So when did y'all decide to move from New York to, to Raleigh? Yeah, I think it was kind of at the beginning of 2020 or right before 2020 started, actually, we were actually looking at Durham first, visited Durham, really liked what we saw. We know that there's a lot of startups in Durham and then went to, came to, to Raleigh as well, came to visit. And every, at that time, everything was, I guess it was early on during the pandemic, everything was boarded up. There was nobody downtown. So we kind of shied away a little bit from Raleigh. And I don't really know. I think after a couple months, you know, decided, you know, we're still between Durham and Raleigh. And then looked into Raleigh a little bit more and saw all these tech companies moving in. I think it's like 80 or 90 people moving in here every single day. Yeah. So just, yeah, went full in on, on Raleigh. And yeah. we love it here so far. The South yeah. is really different than Jersey yeah. where, I, where I grew up. So. Yeah. People yeah. are a little nicer than, you know, Times Square. People <laughs> elbowing each other, jockeying for position to cross the street. And down here, it's like people, you know, never met a stranger. It's, it's like weird if you don't talk to a stranger <laughs> passing the street here. So it's a little bit uh, night and day, but it, it's really cool to be here. And um, Austin, Texas was actually second on our list. Yep. And just saw that it was a little past where Raleigh is in terms of that growth trajectory. And we sort of liked the idea of going somewhere that was a little younger, a little more up and coming. We're like, you know, maybe we can grow into the city, grow with the city. Um, and maybe we won't be the biggest fish, but be a bigger fish in a smaller pond than say we would have been in, in New York or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Christopher, sure. you know, when they're thinking of moving across the states and moving from New York, in this case, to North Carolina, what do companies need to think about? What what should they have thought about? And then guys, we'll, we'll get back yeah. to you on what did you actually do? Mm -hmm. But Christopher, what should they be thinking about? Yeah. So a theme that I'll start with and, and probably come back to very often is surrounding yourself with good people who know what they're doing and being able to being able and willing to listen to their advice. And, you know, when I hear these guys talk, they, they've got a couple of traits that I find really exciting in founders, right? You know, the first is an ability to pivot and to to be open to new ideas and changing your business model, your business location. I think that's that's a great trait for founders to have. But then they also said that they surrounded themselves with mentor figures, right? People mm -hmm. that had been through this process that knew what they were doing that could advise them along the way. Um, and similarly, if you are looking to to move states, uh, to move within a state, to move countries potentially. Surrounding yourself with good service providers that know what they're doing can be really important, right? Obviously, I like to start with the attorney. You know, if you're saying, hey, I'm looking to move, um, a good attorney is going to have a few pieces of advice for you. You know, the first is going to be, okay, if you're looking to get some real estate in wherever you're moving to, you need to have us review that lease, right? You want to make sure you've got a good uh, real estate lease in place if you're looking to, to get an office. Uh, if you're, you know, a biotech company and you need lab space, if you're a manufacturing company and you need to to set up a manufacturing facility, 
getting a good lease is is really important. It's always been really important, but with our clients, we found in the time of COVID, it's super important, right? You know, if you have a retail space that has a lease that doesn't contemplate what happens in a pandemic, right? You know, you you need to think about these things. Um, and so having somebody who knows what they're doing review your leases as you get uh, started on that process is really important. You know, the other thing I'll, I'll point to is, you know, we look at companies and we would kind of classify them two different ways, right? There are lifestyle businesses. So, you know, say I've got a restaurant in Jersey and then I want to move it or I want to open a restaurant down in Raleigh. And how you go about moving that restaurant is one thing. But if you've got, you know, a company like this, right, a, a you know, growth company, a, a technology enabled company that's probably going to grow quickly, I assume is looking to expand its customer base pretty quickly, you know, then you you need to jump through a few additional hoops. And, you know, one of those is, presumably or, or very likely you're going to be incorporated in Delaware. And what that means is your company will be formed in the state of Delaware, even if you never actually had a business or employees in the state of Delaware. And it's Delaware sort of the lingua franca of the corporate business world. All of the Fortune 500 companies are, most of them are based in Delaware. And so if you're starting a growth business, a, a high growth business, a, you know, a company that's going to be larger, Oftentimes, you'll start in Delaware, regardless of where you are, and then you'll get qualified to do business in the state where you're currently operating. And so, you know, I don't I don't know about these guys, but for a lot of growth businesses, they might be in New York, they're incorporated in Delaware. If they move, they need to get qualified to do business in the state where they move to. So mm -hmm. they would get qualified to do business in North Carolina, which is really just you putting up your hand and saying, hey, I'll pay taxes down here. Mm -hmm. I've got employees down here. Maybe I've got some real property down here. Um, but, you know, I, I need to be qualified to do business. The state of North Carolina needs to know that I'm here now. And so that's that's another box we would check, legally speaking. You guys, are you incorporated in Delaware? We are not. So we're actually maybe one of the, the few exceptions to that, but we're actually incorporated as an LLC Tax as a partnership here in Raleigh or here in NC, I suppose. It Got is. it. Yeah. Did yeah. you have a business in place before you moved or did you form it when you moved? We did. So we had an initial LLC formed and, you know, talking about things falling in place. Lucky enough, my mom's a retired corporate attorney and nice. she's not, you know, specialized in taxation. So not exactly this, but was able to at least give us a few pointers. And so what we actually ended up doing was reincorporating. I think we actually dissolved the initial entity yeah. and reincorporated here. I mean, we were talking about this. I don't know yeah. if that's standard practice or not, but I know it's it's what we did and it ended up working for us almost kind of starting from that blank slate here in NC. Yeah, it's a good question. So it's it's very state specific. So the state that you're leaving and the state where you're going, depending on what their rules are, changes how you handle that process. Yeah. You know, some states like South Carolina won't let you just move your business from New Jersey to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. You've got to kind of jump through some hoops in order to get um, you know, incorporated in, in South Carolina, other States allow you to re-domesticate, mm -hmm. which means just move your business from state A to state B. So like Delaware allows that in a lot of situations. And so, you know, I'll be interested to see as your business progresses, particularly if you bring on significant partners or large institutional investors, mm -hmm. venture funds, things like that, as you're raising capital, you know, it'll be interesting to see what those conversations look like. A lot of the investors, even investors that are located in North Carolina, will say, we need you to be a Delaware C-Corp, mm -hmm. right? 
that's what we invest in. That's what we like for a number of different reasons. You don't necessarily have to do that now, right? You don't want to get ahead of yourselves, but there's a good chance that that's going to be something you have to look forward to in the mm -hmm. future. So let's say they couldn't have dissolved their company in New York. Like it's just too complicated. Like they're, they're too big and dissolving it is, is not a, an option at that point. Like, could they move easily to North Carolina and, and set up a, a, a new LLC then? Or like, how does that, how does that work exactly? Yeah. So you can do it a few different ways. And a lot of it depends on the type of assets you have and the type of contracts that you have in place. Right. So, you know, if you have a business and it's really early stage and you don't have that many customers, uh, then you can just re-domesticate, which is the easiest and simplest thing if the states allow for it. Um, or you can form a new business and just assign over the assets, right? Mm -hmm. You form, you know, Astral North Carolina and you assign the New Jersey assets to the new business and then you dissolve the the pre-existing mm -hmm. entity. So there are a few different ways that you can do it. You know, like I said, depending on the state you're coming from and the state you're going to will determine whether or not you can just re-domesticate. And if you can't, that's where you get into the situation where, you create the new company, you move over the assets, and then you dissolve the old company. And usually that's fine. You know, sometimes if you've got contracts in place, you might, you know, initiate some issues with those contracts, right? Because the business entity itself is technically changing. Um, where we get really nervous is clients that have government contracts. You know, the government is uh, not the most technically savvy. <laughs> you still have to fax things to the IRS to yeah. get things like employer identification numbers. You know, you've got a, a tax attorney in the family. I'm sure they've dealt with this a lot. And so if you've got government contracts, it can get really complicated really fast whenever you're changing anything with your organizational structure. So if somebody's moving from, if a company's moving from, say, New Jersey to North Carolina, New Jersey is losing out on tax revenue. Is there a not a fine, but is there, is there a tax for dissolving the company? So typically you just pay a fee. Usually yeah. it's a really small fee because if you're dissolving the company, presumably there's not a lot left there in most mm -hmm. situations. So you pay the fee in, in New Jersey. Um, usually it's, you know, you're not going to pay a new penalty, but that does, you know, kind of segue into a really important thing, which is your taxes, right? So when you get qualified to do business in North Carolina, it means you're paying taxes down here. And then, you know, especially if you get into a situation where you've got a larger workforce, typically my recommendation is to get you a payroll provider and get it fast, right? Yeah, you can you can get a company, ADP does it, lots of um, service providers do this, where they can help you manage that workforce. This is obviously especially important in COVID where you get situations where, you know, maybe some people move from New Jersey down here, maybe some people are working remotely, you know, in Raleigh, we don't see this issue a lot, but if you're in Charlotte, you have people that are working in North Carolina and living in South Carolina and driving across the border every day. Where, where do they get taxed? You know, you can't, you can't see my face, but it's anguished looking and my hands are <laughs> waving around in the air because it's, it's really tricky. And so, you know, if you get a good payroll provider, they can handle those thorny issues. And, you know, when you get things like tax laws that change in the pandemic because people are working remotely, they're on top of all that and they can handle it for you. Hmm. Does it matter if if a company is an LLC versus um, C-Corp or, or S-Corp? Like, does any of that stuff matter? So it depends, okay. which is a great lawyer answer. Okay. That's what we love to say. <laughs> um, you know, if you're just thinking about moving your business, um, particularly in the early stages, 
it's probably not that big a deal um, for a business like this that these guys are running. You, know, you mentioned you're an LLC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is is probably the best option. You've got a tax attorney. Yeah. I, I assume that uh, she weighed in on this. You know, particularly in the early stages, you're going to be spending more money than you're bringing in, right? You're going to be losing money. Most early stage companies do. If you're an LLC, you can flow those losses through to your individual tax returns. You know, if you've got other assets, uh, if you've got other income, you know, you can offset your your um, other profits with the losses from your business. But you know, whenever I'm talking to uh, founders, what I always say is, tell me about your business and then tell me what you want your business to be, right? What does this look like five years from now, 10 years from now, if your dreams come true, right? You know, if you're, I don't know, Aladdin or something, and, and <laughs> yeah, everything is perfect. And the reason why is that affects the legal advice. You know, if you want to uh, have this business and just have a couple people and consult for five, you know, companies and that's it and you don't want to grow, that's a different set of advice than we want to grow really quickly and we want to sell this thing in two years or, you know, we want to have a hundred employees and 10 locations in five years. And I want to, you know, grow this thing and pass it down to my children and my children's children, right? That affects the legal advice. And, you know, to get more granular here, if you guys are planning on, you know, raising money in the near future, like we talked about, presumably you would convert to a C-corp. And so what you would do now is kind of think about, okay, what are the things that we might do now as an LLC that would make it harder for us to convert to a C-Corp? And so you would just start planning ahead for that process. Yeah. Um, so what is your five to 10 year plan? What's your, your vision for you know, hundreds of locations and whatever yeah, else? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, good question. And I think it's an interesting case when you talk about you know, high growth companies, because in some ways a consultancy is not quite as high growth as say, you know, a tech unicorn type company or that has aspirations of, you know, taking on a lot of VC funding. For us right now, it's really about that steady organic growth. And we certainly see ourselves as being a leader or the leader in analytics in Raleigh, and then certainly expanding out to really the whole East Coast. I mean, that's really where our base is. We have some clients in New York and down towards towards the South as well. So that's that's certainly a goal. And I see um, one big aspiration that we talk about is building some sort of product base, so proprietary products that really revolutionize what people think about when they think about a dashboard. So a lot of times they think about, they just see graphs and charts and metrics. And a lot of times there's a lot of mental gymnastics to really interpret what you're seeing. You know, you almost have to say, you look at a graph and you say, okay, what is this really telling me? And there's, there's a few steps to really get to saying, okay, here's the decision I'm going to make. But with the advent of a lot of the modern artificial intelligence technology and a lot of just modern design is this idea of almost sort of a navigator where maybe a CFO goes into the dashboard and it's already learned. It knows what he wants to see. It knows he wants to see exactly what expenses are too high, what are too low, what's top of mind. Maybe there's a big acquisition coming up, you know, basically feeding them the insights they want to see. So we have a lot of aspirations there around building more intelligent dashboards, more intelligent tools. And that's really going to be helpful too in just getting those non-technical users bought in. Because I think a lot of times those who are maybe in sales and they haven't really worked with technology, they don't quite have a vision in their mind of, of what analytics is really going to do for them. It almost is kind of this nebulous concept. It's yep. like, okay, analytics data, it sounds cool, but like, why do I care? But, you know, when we can put something like this in front of them and we're slowly getting to this point where we do um, what we call rapid prototyping and we'll be able to show them something in, in, you know, four to six weeks. But this idea of being able to just 
pull up a tablet or a, a phone and say, oh my God, like, that's exactly what I want to know. And I don't care if it's, you know, magic or if it's data or what's behind it, but it's there. It, it's inside. It's meaningful. It's useful. So that that's some of where we want to go. I don't know if you want to. No, definitely. And not just AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning, but also kind of VR as well, uh, making these products that we're trying to build, these dashboards being collaborative. So, you know, we've had conversations around an idea of potentially putting a VR headset on and now you're in a room with all the different executives with your insights that you get from your dashboards and then being able to quickly make a decision. And this is something that we kind of heard a little bit about uh, from some of our mentor mentors, you know, so an idea that uh, companies are, are thinking about building. But even during COVID, I know transportation and logistics companies, they set up some, some of these war rooms where they would go and trying to come up with decisions to uh, some of the pricing changes that they were seeing and some of the supply issues that, that we're currently seeing as well. So just using more technology, essentially, whether it's AI and then the VR to kind of go along with that to, to help individuals and companies be data-driven and, and make the best decisions possible. Gotcha. Yeah. So if, if they're expanding to another state or if if we as a company, if my company expands from Raleigh and then we've got a studio in Durham now, if we want to go to Charlotte, but instead we go to Rock Hill, right? South Carolina. Like, is there anything that that we would need to think about or if anybody listening needs to think about if they are expanding different locations, not like changing where they're incorporated, but changing locations um, or adding locations, I should say. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So in addition to the, you know, your your property lease that we talked about earlier and getting qualified to do business, you know, I think to, to piggyback a little bit off the the concepts that that these guys are talking about where you've got a dashboard that you're using to to make decisions, you know, I think setting up some type of um, specific onboarding process for new employees as you start growing and opening up new locations is really important. And that's something that if you've got an HR lead, they can do that in tandem with your attorneys. But essentially what that means is, hey, we're opening up new locations. We're going to be bringing on a lot of bodies. They're going to be doing a lot of different things for our business. We need a streamlined process so that we can you know, put a set of documents uh, in front of decision makers, a set of documents in front of these new employees, and make sure that when we bring them on, we're doing the things that we need to do correctly. And that means you know, we're, we're getting their, um, obviously salary and benefits and things like that set up correctly. But more importantly, you know, we're getting them to assign their intellectual property to the company. Um, we're getting them to sign whatever restrictive covenants we need them to sign. We're using a, a template offer letter. We're managing the company's equity plan. If we're giving these people stock options or stock grants or things like that. Right. But it's, it's, you know, putting in place, a. uh, let's call it data-driven or partially data-driven, um, you know, set of, of metrics in front of executives so you can continue the pace of hiring in different locations that you want without having to, you know, sit down and spend a lot of brain power on each one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're talking to small companies here, salary and benefits. I, I, mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. What's that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, so what about moving out of the country? Like, you know, is, is there any sort of advantage to moving out of the country or like better yet, what would you need to think about if you decided, you know what, I'm going to move to the Cayman Islands, um, and, and set up shop there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's complicated <laughs> yeah. obviously. And it depends, uh, like the lawyers like to say, so it's, 
you know, it, it's really keyed off where you're going. Um, you know, I've got a client right now that's negotiating. Um, it's a, a biotech company and it's negotiating with a, a CRO in Australia, right? And Australia has specific tax benefits if you do your clinical trials there. Mm. And so a number of biotechs will set up subsidiaries in Australia, um, do their clinical trials there and get some significant tax benefits. And so, you know, that is a decision that's being driven by the underlying economics. Um, and so when we get situations like that, we have a, an Australian legal partner and we, we kind of bring them into the picture to say, this company is going to stay in the States. It's going to be incorporated in the States. Most of its employees are going to be in the States, but we need to set up an Australian subsidiary and here's what we need and here's why. And so you kind of go through that specific process. Um, and so whenever you're looking to open a new branch, a new division to, to penetrate into a new market in another country, I think understanding what those underlying economics are and the underlying rationales are, because that affects, you know, what, what you need to do from a legal perspective. Um, you know, in particular, if you're sort of saying we want to grow our market because we'd like to sell our business and we're going to be more attractive if we have a Chinese market, you know, then you're going to want to partner with obviously a Chinese law firm. That's something that we can help with. Um, but you'll need to make sure that you're doing specific things like protecting your underlying intellectual property that are going to make you attractive to potential buyers, right? So it's, you know, there are no quick and easy answers when you're looking at moving into other countries. But if you get people who understand what you're trying to do and why, they can kind of walk you through, here are the specific high-level things that need to be top of mind when you make that decision. Wow. This is such great advice. Um, and uh, you, you see why having a lawyer is so valuable. <laughs> to, yes. <laughs> to, okay. uh, to help out a with lawyer, all this stuff. A lawyer, a good CPA too. They're yeah. Worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Gosh. Any other advice that we need to think about, um, you know, when, when we're thinking of moving companies or moving across state or countries or anything? Yeah, it's it's a decision that that can be really beneficial to a company. I think keeping an open mind, like you know, I, I heard these guys talking about their decision making process. They were looking at Durham, they were looking at mm -hmm. Raleigh. Um, they allowed that decision to happen pretty organically. Yeah. Kind of keeping an open mind, being willing to to listen, being willing to to change if you don't see like the underlying fundamentals of the city as matching your needs. You know, it wasn't sort of we you know watched a movie set in Austin and we yeah. said we're going to move to Austin <laughs> right that might work for some people but for an early stage business that that can cause a lot of problems if you um don't do your homework right you might end up in a place where you can't get the developers that you need where you can't get the real estate that you need that they don't have you know the specific manufacturing facilities or whatever it might be applicable to your business um a lot of states and cities are competing for businesses just like yours, right? Um, you know, especially young founders that um, can, you know, move to a place and bring a lot of value over a long period of time. And uh, if you're thoughtful about the process, you can um, realize a significant amount of benefits uh, to wherever you decide to go. Awesome. So Alfonso, Chris, um, you've been in Raleigh now for how long? A little bit over a year. Yeah. Right around a year. Yeah. Right around a year. So what are some of the things that you, you love about Raleigh? And then what are some of the things that, you know, you feel like Raleigh could improve upon? <laughs> well, we'll start with the good. I think there's just such a sense of community here that I've seen yeah. through getting roped in with the chamber and, and groups like yours, Jason, and just all the local 
founders that we see in Innovate Raleigh and these great programs that just kind of open their arms to us and we're willing to give advice and to put us on to other people, make introductions. So I think that's been the biggest thing is just this sense of community where been here a year and it already does feel like home and feels like we've been here. You know, it, sometimes it feels kind of like we just, you know, walked up to the craps table and kind of threw, threw down a hand <laughs> right. and kind of hoped that, you know, we're like, hey, if Raleigh doesn't work out, we can always go somewhere else. We can always go back up north. But I think now we're, we're in agreement that this is the place. And so I think it's, it's really owed to that fact, that community feel. And, and another good thing, I think, is just the sheer pace of growth here, which is just incredible. Even from when we move to now, we're just seeing these, you know, look at Glenwood South and the two new towers they're building there. And all, I mean, everywhere else, you look at the new Y and, and Southeast Raleigh and just all of these new developments. Um, you have Dorothy Dix Park and just all kinds of things popping up that it's just really cool to be on the ground floor here and seeing that and then hopefully being able to affect that in a positive way as, as we go forward. Oh my gosh. I mean, 100% agree uh, on the community aspect of yeah. it. And, and that's why I wanted to partner with Rally Founded um, you know, yeah. for studio space in here is because of the entrepreneurial spirit. And yeah. Um, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and their willingness to just help out. You talk to Jason Wyden, um, who was one of the founders of Rally Founded. Every single time you talk to that guy, he gives you three people to talk to, yep. you, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that'll help you. It'll point you in the right direction. It is uncanny what, what they do here. Yeah. Um, so yes, hundred percent agree on the, on the community aspect. Of yeah. It. That's something I should have mentioned. I mean, can't leave out Rally Founded. Obviously Rally Founded has been <laughs> awesome. We're here. Uh, and we're definitely looking to get a space. The hard part is, is it Capital Club? Is it this location? I mean, there's four great ones, and it's kind of hard uh, to pick one, but I think at some point we'll we'll have that decision made. And, and you talk about the rising tide lifting all boats, I think is also cool because you have so many different co-working spaces who, you know, ostensibly are competitors, but they really all work together so great. Yep. And it's almost, um, almost weirder if they were uh, more competitive and more cutthroat like you might see in, you know, in, in certain areas on the... West Coast, I won't name in certain areas up north. So, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, it's nice. What, what do y'all see from things that Raleigh could get better at? It's a good oh, question. Yeah. I really like it here. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. It's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess something we do sometimes talk about is, is how there's kind of pockets. That's very true. Yeah, there's the different areas like the North Hills, Glenwood South, downtown. It seems like they're not fully connected. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe just kind of somehow maybe a developer or somebody's going to come in and try to integrate all those locations mm -hmm. uh, together. But that is something that we did, did notice. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's interesting. I was actually just talking to um, Kristen Mullins from Slice Pie Company uh, the other day, and she was talking about like, what is, what defines Raleigh exactly? Uh -huh. Like how, how do we do that? And you know, when, when somebody from Silicon Valley thinks about Raleigh, what do they think about? And so that's interesting about uh, you, you, you two coming from the Northeast, like even being here, you don't quite know what the identity is just yet, mm -hmm. even though you've been down here for, for a year. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's very interesting that, that you say that. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Dorothy Dix Park. Yeah. Um, you know, what, is, what are some other fun things that, that you like to do in, in Raleigh? So, I mean, we're out near the Glenwood South area, a decent amount when we're not working. And there's a lot of fun to be had there and, and good restaurants. And we've slowly been branching out from our usual beer garden, like Mojo's and, you know, like the more um, kind of college type bar food. And then uh, we've been getting out to some of Ashley Christensen's restaurants, which have been fantastic. Oh, yeah. And kind of realized, which I don't know how we didn't realize this when we were here the first six months, but like Raleigh has really good food and it's, yeah. 
<laughs> it's, you know, there's new restaurants popping up all the time. So the food scene's really great here. Um, great parks, a lot of fun things to do outside. And I'm told the museums and everything are great. We got yeah, to still have to get out there. Definitely trying to make a trip to a museum yeah. soon. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to think about, do I want to go to a museum in, you know, are, are we still in COVID times yeah. or, or what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. hard to think about that. What about you, Christopher? What, what are some of the things that you like about Raleigh? Yeah. So I've, I've got a three and a half year old daughter. So I like the things that she likes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we're not inside watching Encanto over and over again, uh, you know, speaking of museums, the, the Durham uh, Life Science Museum is fantastic. We were just there. Last week, they have a lot of stuff outside, which is really nice in, yeah. in COVID times. They've got a, a really cool interactive playground, uh, you know, dinosaur trail, things like that. And then, you know, I, I like to play golf. I like to read. I like to, you know, walk around town with the family and, you know, try to stay busy. There's We're, we're in uh, um, over near Village District, and so, you know, we can walk down to Hillsborough Street. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, very close to Pullen Park and Dorothea Dick. So there's a lot of really cool stuff to do and keep us busy. Yeah, definitely. Well, we won't talk about Bruno on this podcast. <laughs> That's <about> that. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, last question, guys. Um, and I'll ask it to, to everybody. Um, so what's what's one piece of non-legal advice that you would give to somebody that's thinking of moving to Raleigh? Chris, we'll start with you. Okay. Someone who's moving to Raleigh for the first time. Let's, let's say it's a, uh, an entrepreneur. Sure, sure. It would definitely just be embracing all the opportunities that, that are here and just connecting with people on LinkedIn, going to events. You know, I talk about the chamber. The chamber is a phenomenal resource and all of the individuals there are great at connecting us in with all of the programs that are attached to it. Um, I'm doing Leadership Raleigh this year, which has been a really good reason to, to get connected and being able to meet some really interesting people from all different age brackets, different walks of life, people from New York, out West, Raleigh natives, you know, so many different people. So, but all of that really came through, you know, a willingness to get connected in and, and go out there. And I think, you know, in the COVID era, it's not always that easy when we're used to Zoom meetings and doing things fully virtually. There's definitely a lot of merit in getting out there and going to those in-person events. So I hope yeah. things seem to be looking up in terms of the pandemic. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, but, um, you know, definitely looking forward to continuing to get involved. Yeah. Awesome. Alfonso? Yeah. Not being afraid to kind of just get out there, meet as other individuals as you can. Um, there's great programs, obviously, Leadership Raleigh. The Chamber has a lot of different events. Uh, there was Innovate Raleigh that we went to as well, which was super awesome. And kind of just trying to get plugged in with as many people as possible, even if it's individuals in government or mm -hmm. in the business private sector. Uh, everybody's like a family here, and I think everybody's really trying to help each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Christopher? I think you need to explore the barbecue scene, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> yeah, depending on depending on where you're coming from, it can be a big change. You know, I, I came from Georgia, which you know doesn't have like a, a specific thing like a Kansas or a Texas would, but you know, people take their stuff, their barbecue stuff, really seriously up here, and so I think that can be a little jarring if if you're not expecting it. Um, but on on a more serious note, I think you know, doing a, a deep dive before you get to Raleigh on what the specific resources are. Um, mm. You know, I think Raleigh has incredible opportunities. It has incredible people, um, resources, just like we've talked about here. But the city is growing very quickly. Um, and I think making sure that, you know, you are going to be able to find the kind of people that you want with the skill set that you want, um, that there's going to be the, the specific infrastructure that meets your needs. You know, there are, there are lots of things that Raleigh is really good at. And then there are some things that, you know, we're still working on, you know, getting enough, uh, software developers and and scientists and things like that. You know, we 
um, are, are certainly on the upswing and that's in process. But I think making sure that you understand um, and and get a city, a location that fits exactly what you need is really important. That's, that's fantastic. Totally agree. Um, well, Christopher, how can our listeners connect with you for legal advice, not barbecue advice? Got it. Yeah. So well, stay both. away from my TikTok, I guess, is, is the short answer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, I, uh, so I'm an attorney, like you said, at Wyrick Robbins. The easiest way to find me is on the website there. So Christopher Poe, P-O-E, like Edgar Allen. Um, and our website is Wyrick, W-Y-R-I-C-K.com. Awesome. And uh, Astral Guys, yeah. and oh. how can everybody connect with you? Yeah. We are not on TikTok as of yet, but <laughs> stay tuned for that debut. That, that'll be interesting. But we are active on LinkedIn. So you can search the Astral Consulting Group on LinkedIn, and that's A-S-T-R-A-L. And our website is astralconsultinggroup.com, spelled the same way. And we have a whole lot of good stuff there, blogs, insights, case studies, and more about what we do. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for, for coming on the Founder Connect podcast. Truly a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. This has been awesome. All right. That was Christopher Poe from Wyrick Robbins, along with Chris Andersay and Alfonso Albuquerque from Astral Consulting Group. As I mentioned, you can find them at Raleigh Founded or by visiting astralconsultinggroup.com. And of course, visit wyrick.com for any legal advice. And if you're looking for more information about joining the community at Raleigh Founded, head on over to raleighfounded.com. If you like the show, be sure to follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is edited and produced by Earfluence. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Founded Connect.